0: Take its mask and shut. I ain't wearing it no more. Y'all look at me like I'm from Mars when I don't wear it in the store. Don't even try to make me put it on or I'm walking out the door. Take its mask and shut. Shopping in this place for almost 15 years, and I've seen all kinds of viruses, but I've never lived in fear. Now I know that Corona's real, and it probably ain't a lot to ask. But I ain't a bank robber and I ain't a lone ranger and I don't want to wear this mask Take this mask and shove it I ain't wearing it no more Y'all look at me like I'm the devil and I don't wear it in the store Don't even try to make me put it on or I'm walking out the door Take this mask and shut it, I ain't wearing it no more. COVID-19's a real bad dude and they say there ain't no cure. Hydroxychloroquine or a new vaccine, I just can't be sure. Think I'll drink a little shine every morning when I start my day. Might not kill the virus, but it'll give me the courage to say, take this mask and shove it. Corona needs to be gone. My woman stays home, spends all my money on Amazon. I just want to hug everybody like I did before. So Take this plague and shove it taking it no more and take this mask and shut you no know, honey i got it right here i told you i was gonna put it on it's right here i'm wearing it i ain't gonna
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalist. My name is Kurt Wilson. I'm the Armchair Survivalist, and today is August the 15th in the year 2021. Welcome to the show. If you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, I'm not going to get into it and give you the whole rigmarole on this, but there are many different ways you can listen to me. Armchairsurvivalist.com, scroll down, you'll see a category that says Ways to Listen. I'm on every podcast known to man. I'm on satellite TV. There's a phone number there you can dial up and uh, listen to me. There's also archive pages. There's a place that you can download my shows. I've I pretty much got it all covered. If I don't, let me know, will you? My email address is at the bottom of any of those pages. You can also go in the chat room on Sundays. That's when the show plays live, so to speak. And you can uh, listen there. Or you can talk to people, ask questions. There's there's no shortage of intelligence and people willing to uh, communicate there. Let's get some things out of the way for the business, Survival Enterprises. When you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, on the top right-hand side, you'll see a virtual private network company, VPN. I advise you to get it. I don't. I, you know what? I don't care where you get a VPN, but you damn well better get one. Every single person out there who is listening to me and You're not a government stooge or some NSA intelligence gathering freak. Uh, You're going to need to mask your Internet presence, and that's what a VPN does. It allows you to wander the Internet and look at different pages, admire processes, uh, hear about things that normally would put you on a list because the government, quote-unquote, And by that, I mean every damn government uh, is uh, watching everything that we do, listening to everything that we say, copying everything. But if you have a VPN, at least you have some modicum of security and anonymity. All right. We have Mountain House Food still. Uh, It's a one-week supply of food for one person. It's in a bucket. $150 delivered anywhere in the United States. I got another batch of the radios in, ham radios. These are one- well, there's two different versions I have. One of them does 1 to 5 watt, and the other does 1, 5, and 8. So the wattage depends on, on uh, how far you can transmit, basically. These are ham radios, so they're they're on the amateur band. I have their 50 and 75 bucks. I have uh, maybe a dozen of them in stock now, and they come and go so fast that by the time most people listen to my show, they're gone. But I've got about a dozen of them left in... in uh, in in the store here and by the way i have some oddball stuff in the store those of you who are local i I don't advise taking a thousand mile trip just to come and visit but i have had people do that believe me i've had people travel ten thousand miles not specifically to visit us but to uh they, they they uh they sort of stop off here let's just put it that way i have something i bought about 15 years ago and i'm cleaning out my storage and I found it. I'm like, oh crap! Okay, this is a radar deflecting camouflage net system. It's a U.S. Army issue. It's it's uh, large. There's many parts to it. It's, it's if you ever seen the movie, any movies, any any TV shows, and they have a camouflage netting up, and they have these legs that go up about 10 feet, and everybody's vehicles are under there, and they're all conducting business under. That's what these are. Except these hide you radar doesn't even it doesn't even show up on you at all It just goes right over the top of you. I have a complete set everything here the Department of Defense sells the used ones at twenty seven hundred bucks I want a thousand bucks for it It's sitting here on the floor. I also happen to have some Michelin tires. I took off my truck 275, teams these are ten ply these are truck tires and they got about i don't know fifty percent of the tread left. I got well, I want two hundred bucks for that. I'm sure i got some other oddball things here, but I just want to get these things off the floor. All right, let's get into the economy. So the Northwest is going through, well, pretty much the whole planet is going through a drought right now. One of the problems is that lakes are drying up. Well, and so are reservoirs. And the problem with some of that, now everybody knows, oh yeah, look at that lake. Lake Shasta is drying up, and look at the Salt Lake is drying up. To give you an example of the big problem, Lake Orville is drying up. Lake Orville is a hydroelectric power plant. They had to turn it off. Not enough water to run the generators. This is going to be affecting everybody in that area because now they got to get their electricity from someplace else and it's going to cost more. Tyson Foods comes out and says, look, we, we, everything's raising. All the prices are raising. Everything's raising to us. So we're going to have to raise prices on all of our chicken products. Now, that's that's a big thing. And I'll get into this a little bit later. But Tyson Food is raising their prices on chicken stuff Co- Coincidentally, Tyson employees walk off the job Because Tyson mandates they all get the, this uh, jab This uh, genetic manipulation they're, they're calling a vaccine So the, the employees said, you know what, screw you And they walked off the job So this is, this is part of this whole giant thing You've heard the Ice Age Farmer talk about many times About shortage of food This is man-created shortage here all right, let's get into food and health. And this, the, the health thing, this is, uh, is going to drive you nuts. In the EU, there's acknowledged over 15,000 people who have died from the uh, jab, as they're calling it now. Over 15,472 people dead from direct application of this so called vaccine. 1.5 million have been injured. And again, this injury is, is, goes anywhere from the destruction of your kidneys, your liver, you're blind, you're hearing, you're, you're, you're sick, your heart uh, starts to harden. There's so many different things. That's in the EU. Now realize these reporting agencies are only getting about 1% of the reports because a lot of doctors and hospitals won't, won't report them. In the United States, the CDC has been caught fudging they go in, the CDC goes into the VARES program, which is the United States version of the vaccine reporting system, and the CDC has gone in and is erasing uh, deaths. Over 6,000 so far they have r- erased. There's over 12,000 people in the United States alone who have died from direct application of the, of the virus-embedded uh, uh, genetic manipulation. I, I don't care what words they want to do, but I can tell you that more people have died from these vaccines worldwide than died in Hiroshima, the, nu- the uh, explosion, nuclear explosion there. We're talking a quarter million or more. It's a little here, a little there. You're not hearing it. You will never hear it. You could have five of your neighbors die from these shots. You won't hear about it. It won't show up in your local paper at all. Here's an, uh, an example of one of these insane millennial parents allowed their two-year-old, two-year-old baby to get the second Pfizer shot and the baby dies. An actor, I'm not going to give his name out, he had both shots and then decided to have a booster. Six days later, he died. A mother had her 14-year-old son because she listened to the propaganda from the CIA. Talking about how everybody needs to get these shots. Everybody needs to. Everybody needs so she gets the shot all right. Now her, her son, her fourteen year old, is hospitalized probably for the rest of his life because the RT uh, arterial walls are hardening throughout his whole body. Now you if you listen to the news, then you heard about how these cruise ships are mandating everybody be vaccinated. The staff, the crew, and the patients. So here's this one ship. Everybody's vaccinated. Now they have hundreds. Of COVID cases aboard the ship Israel and Australia Are reporting that 95 to 99% Of the hospitalized people Suffering from COVID are fully Vaccinated. You're hearing About how this variant Now this is all CIA Talking points. This will be Explained further on in the show Notice how in the beginning it was This is a bad virus But we can take care of it So the fear level went up a little bit And then they come out and said, yeah, yeah, we got ways to take care of it. Don't worry about it. And then the fear level goes down. Then they came out and said, it's bad. You better wear a mask. Fear level goes up. And then it slowly comes down. And then the government comes out and says, it's got to shut everything down. This is so bad. Fear level peaks. And then it comes down. And then, oh, it's really getting bad. We're going to have to get this vaccine, vaccine out so fast now. We're not even going to authorize it. And the FDA is not even going to approve it. So you're all going to be part of the human trials fear level goes up. But then the government comes out and says, oh look, people aren't getting sick anymore in certain places. fear level goes down. You see how this is happening? Up, down, up, down, up, down. And it was going down and people are getting fed up. So the government says, we got to have another twist to it. The variant. The variant. Boom. Now the fear level is peaking again. They know it's going to go down, so there's going to be another uh, something else, another a lambda variant. So there's going to be something happening there. Pay attention to it, but people are dying. Ontario Canada, the hospitals there are proving that vaccinations give no give no protection whatsoever because it's I would say it's about sixty to seventy five percent of the people that are hospitalized are already vaccinated. And then something come out this week that is this is this is I'm astounded at this. This is a direct violation of the Nuremberg Code. You have to have informed consent. Eighty two percent of pregnant women will miscarriage after the shot. So what is this? the FDA and the CDC and the CIA and the U.S. government and all the other governments are telling all the people now? If you're pregnant, get a shot. Get a shot. It's 100% perfect. Don't worry about it. You're safe. It's totally okay. Because the populations in, in, throughout the civilized world have become stupid, they will listen to this and fall for it. There was a, a poll that came out this week. You know, they have this thing called vaccine hesitancy. This is, this is the, a CIA psychological talking point to invalidate people who, want, who don't want to get the, the, the shot. Vaccine hesitancy. Well, it was discovered that the more intelligence that you have, the higher you went in schooling, the uh, less you want to get a shot. There's almost nobody who, with a PhD who has received a shot. They can't find anyone. Then the FDA just come out and said, you know what, for all of you immune-compromised people out there who haven't got the shot, we have a special vaccine booster for you. It looks more and more as if they really are trying to set us up to die. There's too much data out there, and I don't listen to other people's viewpoint of this data. I listen to the science. I go and I read the white papers. I read the studies, and I'm seeing all of this. There is an autoantibody, That uh, is being studied right now Amongst people who have the shots You've heard me use the term And you've heard other people use the term cytokine storm A cytokine storm is when Your immune system turns on The fight against a virus And then doesn't turn it off And that's what's happening to people now A lot of people San Francisco mayor is forcing All law enforcement Sheriff's department is what takes care of San Francisco uh, To uh, take this shot 160 cops quit, which is what they want. They want they want all the police to stop anyway. There's some wise ass liberal millennial named Jason Isbell. He's a country star. He said, "If you want to come and listen to me in my new, you know, I'm going to have a have a show here, and if you want to come to it, you have to get a shot, or you have to have a test to prove that you you don't have it." And the people that were going to put it on said, "We we can't enforce that." So he goes, well, I quit. I'm going, to, I'm going to do the show. Good, good, good. We don't need to give money to, to uh, people like that. Iceland. Now, Iceland is a socialist country. And they came out. And, of course, in socialism, they're here to help you. That's what they, they're, they do. They're, they're going to help you. So they decided that this help that they're going to be doing in Iceland could cause restrictions to last 15 years. Yeah. Immediately after restrictions were lifted in the U.K., COVID cases fell forty percent right away. But the UK just signed COVID passport deal. It's a contract with this one company that could last a couple years, twenty twenty three. Biden has his COVID advisor. He comes out and he eludes that there will be a vaccination identification system within a week. He actually said three and a half days or some such thing, but it's it's I haven't heard about it yet, even though you know Dimwit is, is not a real president. He's just some guy that wanders around and looks sheepish and parrots, whatever he's told in his little earplug in his ear. He is controlled. He is a puppet. Whoever's controlling him, these are communists. Everything that he does is to push towards a communist country. So news is coming out, and it leaks this as much now as it did under Trump, uh, that the White House, quote-unquote, meaning the communist uh, puppeteers, are looking at... A passport a, a, a specialized passport That all citizens must have To cross borders Like if I'm in Idaho I want to go to Montana Well I can't Unless I have my My uh, vaccination passport with me Well this is This is what's going to happen Okay There's no question about it It's just when and how And uh, how smoothly We allow them to do this See the thing about Socialism Remember what I said, and remember what you've been taught. Socialism is the path to communism. Socialism exists just as long as it takes to utterly destroy the economy and to subjugate the people, and then it moves into communism. You vote socialism in, but you have to shoot your way out. Norway has authorized damage claims against the vaccine. Norway has authorized this. That I want to see. There was just a notice out that came out and something about Norway is authorizing the first COVID-19 vac- uh, damage claims to go forward. Pfizer came out and said that immunity can drop to 83% within four months. Now, what does that mean? Well, considering they've already made $33 billion off of this phony vaccine, what they're doing now is pushing for people to come and get more and more shots. You know, I, I told this story some years ago. Right after World War Two, uh, it was Breck shampoo, I think it was. They were they were going out of business. They 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 had uh, their their sales were dropping to to uh, oh five percent of what they used to be. So they hired this expert to come in and turn the sales around. He said that I want one million dollars and I will double your sales. And they hemmed and hawed for about a month, and their stats were slowly dropping down. So they said, "All right, we'll do it." So he goes, all right, I'm going to change the label on all the shampoo bottles. And he did. Under instructions, it simply said, put a a certain amount in the palm of your hand, wet your hair, wash your hair really well, rinse, repeat. That was it. That doubled their sales. Wash, rinse, repeat. And that's what Pfizer's doing. And people are falling for it. Oh, by the way, the CEO of Pfizer was slated to go to a uh, symposium in in, uh, Israel. But because he's not vaccinated, uh, they had to cancel the flight. Did you get that? The CEO of Pfizer is not vaccinated. It was revealed, talking about Pfizer, Pfizer has, well, all of these vaccine companies, they have contracts with countries. They actually have to have a contract. Something was revealed, uh, a security expert discovered this. Under the contract for Pfizer, he stated, if you were wondering why ivermectin was suppressed, ivermectin is an anti-parasitic that actually kills uh, coronavirus. It's because the agreement that countries had with Pfizer does not allow them to escape their contract which states that even if a drug will be found to treat COVID-19, the contract cannot be voided. So these countries have a vested interest in keeping people sick. Something else came out from the CDC. They don't hide this stuff. You just have to know where to look. And this is, uh, I have this. This is a link to their website, CDC's website. Interim operational considerations for implementing the shielding approach to prevent COVID-19 infections in humanitarian settings. What is the shielding approach? aims to reduce the number of severe COVID-19 cases by limiting contact between individuals at higher risk of developing severe disease and the general public. High-risk individuals would be temporarily relocated to safe or green zones established at the household, neighborhood, camp, or community level depending on the context and setting. They would have minimal contact with family members and other low-risk residents. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can find out what it means by reading it. And I will have the links up armchairsurvivalist.com show notes. You'll find the links to everything that I talk to you about. This is the long-awaited FEMA camp where they will quarantine you. If you're sick, they will take you and put you in a quarantine camp. They're, they keep forgetting this one minor thing and one minor problem we have in the United States. And this is why we haven't become communist China or communist Russia yet. Because we have guns. But the communists are doing their damn best to convince the morons that are taking over in this country That guns are evil And you should always follow Authority figures, guidelines By the way, the CDC is not mandating Its employees to get vaccinated Yeah, you get that? Nowhere You want a vac? Go ahead You don't have to If you, Only if you want Now here's something I saw And this, this I just had to throw this in Philip Morris Right? They, they um, Cigarettes Right? They make cigarettes Right? Well, they're also Trying to buy a company that makes respiratory drugs. That's fine. Create the problem, and offer the solution. Right? You've heard that one before. All right. Now we're going to get into food. We. I'm in North Idaho, and we got a problem up here. Not just here, but in Washington, and uh, Wyoming, and Montana, and Nevada. Every year, you see grasshoppers. You know, even you know, even up here, I get these little mini tiny grasshoppers on my front lawn, and I just go out there and uh, mow them all up. Mm. But they're getting so bad that they're actually destroying all wheat fields in the Northwest. Washington is famous not just for apples, but for wheat. 75% of the wheat crop is toast this year. And I mean that in a literal sense because the drought is causing problems. The heat itself is causing problems. You can water all day. I, I had to stop watering my backyard. It was fruitless. I could water all day and it's still brown. So, it just it's dead. They're going to be cutting water because the shortage of water in many places. First big cut is going to be Arizona. They'll be shutting down. I they said 50% flow to farmers. I don't know in Canada. And this is another part of the man made food shortage. The companies that slaughter and process pigs are on strike They have been since April so far farmers had to kill off 130,000 pigs because they got nothing to do with them. You know, you can't just keep it alive until some company takes it and slaughters them because you've got to feed them. And there, now all of a sudden, you have no profit. And it becomes break-even just to dig a big ditch and bury all your pigs. The same thing's happening out here with cattle. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction. Again, I already did this one time some years back and I, I was right. The farmers and the ranchers are gonna have to kill off most of their most of their stock because they can't get hay. They they just they just can't get hay. So they can't feed them. So they're gonna have to kill them off. So you're gonna see in the stores, not too far, too, too far away from now, sales on pork products and uh, beef products. So just watch for them. And remember what I taught you last week about the food saver vacuum packer? This is when you go and you buy 40, 50 pounds of round steak, 40, 50 pounds of chicken breasts. That's why I I taught you last week about the Food Saver Vacuum Packer.
2: If you lie to the government, they'll put you in prison. But when they lie to all of us, it's called being a politician. You think taking guns away will save our kids from the killings? But you're pro-choice. Abortion kills way more children. If America's so terrible and racist, it probably isn't safe to encourage immigration. Just saying, all the contradictions are embarrassing. You know who hates America the most? Americans. Trigger warnings used to be on TV for seizures. And now they're everywhere to protect millennials' feelings. He, she, his, him, hers, them, they screw a pronoun. Because everyone's a retard, these days. Hear of preaching at the protest that hatred's the problem But hating straight men, white folks, and Christians is common Coca-Cola telling people they should be less white They preach intolerance, but if you disagree, they fight There's a race war here, elections based on fear Black lives only matter once every four years Soldiers died for this country and every one of us benefits Give welfare to the bombs and forget about the veterans Black folks and white folks divided by the news But we are all the same, we are red, white, and blue Ashamed to be American? Okay, that's cool Because honestly, we are all ashamed of you too Y'all are so fake. Oh no. The forecast said that there be snowflakes. Whoa. You can make us see it your way. No way. Gasoline and grow. More friends. Oh no.
3: No more snowflake.
1: As you can tell, we're now in the category that I titled Liberal Psychosis. Disney has come out with a new show. It's called Groanish. And it's uh Basically, the whole premise is that blacks are great, whites are bad. It promotes Black Lives Matter. Uh, one of the shows, one of the shows, and it's been already been out. All right, shows a uh, a black kid with a, a gun that gets killed by a cop. This is this is the kind of crap that is propaganda and is being pushed hard. This is what happens in every country that turns communism. They find someone who's the target, and right now the target is white and uh, cops. See, it doesn't matter if you're black and a cop. You're still a cop. Cops are bad and evil, and so are white people. And Disney is proving this with this show because, oh, the children of the millennials, the millennials are the ones that are going to be watching this, and, oh, they need to learn the truth about how bad whites are. Yeah, you're going to love these links when you go to them and look at this stuff. This is, this is uh, disgusting. Disney has become disgusting. Disgusting. I've been watching this. These apprehensions, quote unquote, on along our southern border. Last week, in one day, one day, they apprehended, quote unquote, in other words, catch and release over eight hundred. What they they call kids, and this is anyone under twenty six. That's a kid. Over eight hundred of them, and then you know they just release them. There's a. There's a, uh, there's a website here that you, you can go to. It's an organization, and they teach they teach um, the woke students. They teach students to become woke up. Woke up, wake up, whatever you want to call it, whatever nickname it is, and, and they're they're basically is... Uh, it's called Teaching for Black Lives. It's the Zen Education Project. They're excited to announce that a generous group of donors has funded another round of Teaching for Black Lives, and what it teaches is how whites are bad, how blacks are good, and teaches whites how to be allies of blacks, even though whites are always racist from the day they're born. They're, they're, they're always racist. You're, you'll just love reading all about this in your public school, and not just your public school. I read reports from Christian schools, from charter schools, from Catholic schools of the same crap being taught. Critical race theory, same stuff. This, you're going to love this one. The governor, uh, where is he, Oklahoma, the governor of Oklahoma, Governor Stitt, he signed a bill that will make sure that the students that graduate from high school will actually know what the hell they're talking about when they get in an argument with somebody about civics because they will be required to pass the same tests that a new immigrant passed to become a U.S. citizen. Now, I have some breaking news from our resident comedian. over what's the number again i remind myself 350 million americans have already been vaccinated
4: with a population of 328 million people we can finally have peace of mind knowing it's safe Because Hunter Biden's dad assured Americans there are more vaccinated people than there are people in the U.S. We're not sure if Dominion did the latest tally or what's responsible for the latest reality-defying uptick, but you should know you feel safer because of it. Today's other top stories. Will criticizing Fauci become a federal hate crime, Obama's super-spreader event, and female prisoners are getting other female prisoners pregnant, and Texas Democrats are suing the governor over hurt feelings? But first, Senator Rand Paul became a full-blown dangerous extremist, where in this video he is defending the Constitution and suggesting people do not need to obey unconstitutional tyranny.
0: It's time for us to resist. They can't arrest all of us. They can't keep all of your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed, although I've got a long list of ones they might keep closed or might ought to keep closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats. We can simply say no not again. We are at a moment of truth and a crossroads. Will we allow these people to use fear and propaganda to do further harm to our society, economy, and children? Or will we stand together and say, absolutely not. Not this time. I choose freedom. Rand Paul was also overheard
4: trying to incite violence when he said the following dangerous statement. We should never forget the Constitution wasn't written to restrain citizens' behavior. It was written to restrain the government's behavior. Senator Paul's love for the American people and the Constitution is obviously motivated by hate. And the man whose secrets are most at risk of being exposed by Senator Rand Paul is in the news once again, Dr. Fauci. This time by way of Professor Peter Hotez, who published a paper in the PLOS Biology Journal where he called for all criticism of Dr. Fauci to be designated as a federal hate crime. The Who criticize Dr. Fauci. Is it because they love to inflict criminal hate on him or because they hate the crimes he's committing against them? Well, Peter Hotez, who's a longtime recipient of funding from Dr. Fauci since 1993, to be exact, thinks it's a hate crime. In completely unrelated news, a new bill is expected to be passed into law that would protect abusers from their victims, telling them to stop. It does indeed pass. Perhaps we can put an end to all this hate. Once and for all. We're interrupting your regularly scheduled program of breaking news to bring you even more broken news. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has just announced he'll be resigning while still refusing to admit that he's insanely guilty of sexually harassing multiple women. The White House is expected to suggest Bill Cosby as his suitable replacement. Now back to you in the studio, JP. The Texas Democrats, who fled Texas to unlawfully hold up the state's legislative process, are now suing Texas Governor Greg Abbott for their hurt feelings. Specifically, for anxiety and embarrassment. The lawsuit seeks $5 in actual damages and $10 in punitive damages, which might seem low, but it is higher than the amount of integrity the fleeing Democrats have. Former President Barack Obama took a break from his busy schedule of running Biden from behind the scenes to throw a 600-person birthday bash for himself, which took place at his mansion built right on the sea, which will be underwater any minute now, unless they're lying to us about that. Obama received a lot of criticism as his 600 guests were maskless and unsocially distanced. Well, that's how normal free humans function, it unfortunately doesn't match the draconian fear inducing narrative that Obama and the left are still trying to get people to buy into. This just in! Leaders who always try to scare you rather than inspire you don't care about you. When some attendees posted photos of the freedom-based birthday bash revealing all the carefree human connection happening, they were at least forced to delete them in order to protect the public from seeing the truth. At this point, we'd like to remind you to continue waiting for us to hand your freedom back to you. We're almost at the point where we're ready to do so. And if you hear any messages like, you don't have to wait, you're already free, that is dangerous misinformation rooted in far-right extremism constitutional rights. A female prisoner in a California all-women's prison has become pregnant by another female prisoner. This comes after California passed a law in January, allowing biological males to be placed in women's prisons if they identify as a woman. No questions asked. Even if they're going to prison for brutally sexually assaulting women. This just been. Relying on the honesty of convicted felons makes you a dumb person. So far, 20 biological males have been placed into California's women's prisons. And it's a great policy. Really a progressive law. I mean, Flawless when you look at it. The only problem that we can see is that for some reason women are sexually assaulting other women in prison now and getting them pregnant i just don't know what's wrong with women today and why they would do that that's it for today's news please tune in tomorrow so we can help you forget you're already free and you don't need anyone else's permission to be what you already are it'll be great good night
1: Now we're going into Democrat perversion. Now, maybe I need to rename that as commie perversion. I don't know. But this whole perversion thing, it's not just in the United States. Unfortunately, it's everywhere in the world. And while I was watching the Olympics, I found that there were over... Two dozen sexual perverts, transvestites, that had were pretending that they were females and were entering different contests in the Olympic. And I thought, that's that's just flat disgusting. Do you know this, this Olympics now had the lowest television rate in any Olympics? It, it's almost as if it didn't even happen. We had a female. It's not a female. This is not a female. This is a transvestite swimmer. She won five or six gold medals. It's a guy that... Pretended he was a female. I'm seeing it all over the place. Canada, one of the perverts won gold. Uh, it was some boy. He's Canadian soccer team or something like that. And, you know, we have a, a Butch Dyke on our soccer team, Subway hired, to be a spokesman for them. And now they're trying to unhire her because not only is she a Butch Dyke, you know the difference is. You have a lesbian, which is, you can look and you go, oh, that's a female. And then you have a Dyke, which is that openly hates males and then you have a butch dyke which openly hates males and wants to look like one I, I don't grasp the concept there and there's even been studies about this and so that's what she is is a butch dyke and she she also hates America even though she sucks off America's tit she hates America and Subway stupidly decided to uh, virtue signal by hiring her to be an advertiser for Nash now they're trying to dump her the Acad- this one's going to be this one's-, this one's really weird The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Has decided to sh- virtue signal to the point where Well it's not just women that can feed a baby anymore So they changed their lactation related language To be more gender equal So it's human milk feeding now Not breastfeeding It's human milk feeding this psychosis is getting worse and worse now scotland is communist country it's a very weak communist country it's like still a little socialism there but it's more communism they've come out with a um, with a decree uh, a law that four-year-olds can declare their gender identity four-year-olds and it's legal and the parents can't say a damn thing about it this is scotland it is disgusting It is a far cry. Far cry from the brave and freedom-loving men and women that existed years ago.
5: What are they trying to do? That's the missing piece. But it's not hard to
3: imagine. Driven not only by corporate greed, but a darker objective. The takeover of America. And then the world itself, by any means necessary, however violent, or cruel, or efficient, by severe drought brought on by weather wars conducted secretly using aerial contaminants and high altitude electromagnetic waves in a state of perpetual war to create problem reaction solution scenarios to distract enrage and enslave american citizens at home tools like the patriot act and the national defense authorization act which abridge the constitution in the name of national security the militarization of police forces in cities across the u.s the building of prison camps by the federal emergency management agency with no stated purpose the corporate takeover of food and agriculture pharmaceuticals and healthcare even the military and clandestine agendas can fatten dull sicken and control a populace already consumed by consumerism and i encourage you when we go shopping more A government that taps your phone, collects your data, and monitors your whereabouts with impunity. A government preparing to use that data against you when it strikes and the final takeover begins.
6: The takeover of America.
3: By a well-oiled and well-armed multinational group of elites that will cull, kill, and subjugate.
1: I don't know about you, but it's always a little scary when when, uh, a show like The Simpsons or The X-Files comes out and tells you the truth about what's really happening. Now we're into the category of government threat. For all you millennials and morons out there, you're going to love this one. Amazon will pay you $10 for a scan of your palm print. Now, here's something that most people don't even pay attention to. China is monitoring everything that happens in the United States. It's not the NSA necessarily that we have to worry about. The Chinese government controls most of the communication systems in the United States. Look at your phone. Where is it made? That's right. So Amazon's going to pay you ten dollars for a scan of your palm print. Guess what's going to happen to that scan? Now the the idiots out there go, "What well, ten bucks? What the hell?" I'm I'm not afraid of it. I'm not doing anything wrong. So that scan's going to China. Let's say once you grow up and reach puberty and get some training and decide you want to be have a job that offers security for you, and you 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 get hired and you end up working in a government agency that you have to scan your palm. To gain access to Well guess what China's got your palm print already That's bad enough And I told you this last week Apple is going to be scanning all US phones If you have an Apple phone They're going to scan This is to protect us and to help us And it's for the children, mind you They're going to scan your phone And now they don't say either Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it monthly? Now you understand also Whenever you take a picture on your Apple phone It automatically gets uploaded They're scanning it for child abuse so you take a picture of your your one one year old baby laying on a foot on a fur blanket naked, you know you've seen these pictures a thousand times, and it's cute. Except now that's called child abuse, and Apple's going to be doing that. Those of you with Apple phones, if you have even a tiny 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 thought that you have some security, you're an idiot. China is watching everything. China, you know what? So a company decides to come out with a. Let's say they come out with a movie. And uh, the movie is showing Chinese in a derogatory manner. Before you even start filming, you're contacted by an agent of the Chinese government saying, we really appreciate it if you didn't do this. And you being a patriot say, you go to hell, I do what I want. Yes, you probably can. But see, we control the company that rents the cameras that you're going to use. We control the company that sells the film that you're going to use. We control the Wi-Fi equipment that you're going to have to use for sound effects. So we can shut you down. This is what's happening all over the United States. If China want, wanted to shut down something, you know what they could do? They could slow down the shipping of products into that area. Right now, just as a warning to everyone, if you've got children and you want to buy toys for Christmas, you'd better buy them within the next month. That's not an exaggeration. That's a reality because they're slowing shipping down right now. AR-15 owners, people who own the evil black gun, or for that matter, any semi-automatic weapon. The communists in the House of Representatives have decided that anyone who owns a, a semi-automatic weapon that can take an extended magazine will have to uh, submit fingerprints and register your firearms. So this is a bill going through. See, the Democrats, and I thought this was astounding, the Democrats demand photo ID to buy ammunition in many states, but they don't demand photo ID to vote. I just talked to a guy from California, and I didn't know it had gone this bad. When I was a kid, and you wanted to buy ammunition, you had to give them your uh, driver's license. And they wrote it in in a book. And then you buy your ammo, and out you go. Now, you want to buy ammunition? Well, first off, you had to fill out a form. And then give them your driver's license. And then tell them why you want the ammo. And if you don't have a gun that shoots that ammo, they're not going to sell the ammunition to you. And then they do a background check on you. This is California. Democrats are voting and they 're putting this bill forward from dimwit there's financial laws right now that if you move in cash more than ten thousand dollars you 're considered a criminal and you violated federal law. If you deposit ten thousand in cash that's that's illegal If you withdraw ten thousand in cash well it 's not really illegal uh, you get a red flag and it goes directly to the irs and if you you know they have different levels ten thousand five thousand twenty five hundred for different type of Categorizing and uh, paperwork. Well, the Democrats want to drop that to six hundred dollars. They want to drop it to six hundred dollars. They want anyone with six hundred dollars or more in their bank account, checking or savings, they they want it reported to the IRS. Oh, they're pushing hard now this, this IRS thing. I get a friend by the way. Now this is a this is another another thing here. Department of Homeland Security is using a small Texas airport to disperse the illegal aliens that are coming in. Because remember they're. They're catching releasing, and they don't want them all in Texas. So what they're doing is they're taking them to Abilene. Abilene. Taking them to Abilene. Putting them on planes, shipping them all over the United States. Department of Homeland Security refuses to acknowledge or say why or how or anything like that. This is the deep state. You have the president, you have the senators, you have the congressmen. They're the ones out in front. The deep state is every agency there is. That's the deep state. Department of Homeland Security pretty much is in charge of all of the deep states. Now in Texas, Texas wanted to uh, pass a bill and the Democrats said, you know what, we're just going to leave. We're not going to vote. So they all took off. They're all communists. Here's the sad thing. In Texas, even though everybody says, oh yeah, Texas is great and very patriotic. No, there's per, per capita there's more stupid people in Texas than there is anywhere else in the United States and they keep voting Democrats in. In Texas, all Democrats are communists. So these communists Blew off Texas Blew off their job Went to Washington, D.C. A dozen of them are sick now Because communists are elite And they don't have to wear mask or, or social distance Or any of that crap So they, they ended up getting sick Be that as it may They refused to come back Because if they did Then they'd have to vote Speaker of the House Just swore out warrants For all of their arrests Now these arrests Are not arrests that you can take And put them in the who's gal It means you can physically grab them Arrest them and bring them back to the state capital so that they can vote. That's this is asinine. But this is what communists do. There are no democrats left in the United States. If somebody is wandering around saying, I'm a Democrat, I vote Democrat, they're not Democrats. These are communists because they're feeding they're feeding the giant dragon of communism. That makes them communists. Now they're speaking of another communist, the Oregon governor, Kate Brown. She signed a bill last month real quietly. Real real quietly. Now remember, Democrats are racists, they always have been in the United States. They are the racists, the Republicans are not racist. The Democrats are The Democrats think that blacks are too stupid to graduate high school because they they 're too stupid to understand reading, writing, and math. So to be fair, because it 's only white people who are graduating, white kids that are graduating now this is all I'm, I'm, this is satire, but This is basically how they work. It's only white kids that are graduating, so that's not fair. So what they did, what she did, was you no longer have to be proficient in reading, writing, or math to graduate. Senate Bill 744. July 14th, she signed. Didn't release a press release at all. Didn't tell anybody about it. But basically it means all of the non-whites now have a fair chance to graduate. They'll be stupid, dumb, incompetent, but they have a fair chance to graduate. In Washington State, 15 miles west of me. The governor came out and said that all law enforcement there must now turn in, turn in all of their passwords to their social media, and they're going to be monitored by the government. Well, let's see how many police kowtow to that one. A poll came out. Now, this is, I don't know why they did a poll, but a poll came out. Uh, Registered Democrats Almost 60% of them said Why call us Democrats Why not use the socialist word Why not call ourselves socialists Because that's what we are They're actually coming out and saying it now Because, well, it's no longer bad To be a socialist or communist in the United States Because it's for the people Don't you know? It's for the people Now we're going to have part three The final part of how to become a tyrant And then when I get done with this I'm going to explain and teach you how they work I have had so many people say Now look it, It's impossible For a single person Or a single small group To take over a country As large as the United States They'll never fall for all the crap There is the same thought process Occurring now That has occurred All throughout history I worked for one of the survivors Of the, one of the Auschwitz death camps He taught me a lot More than you ever been taught in school And he taught me Our worst enemy Are ourselves He was in Warsaw for a short period. And he said that the the Jews there listened to their authority figures, which were the Nazis, when they said, you know, just to keep you safe, we're going to have to ask you all to wear gold stars so that uh, we we can make sure that you're safe uh, if if some thugs come through town and cause you problems. And and the Jews said, oh, okay, we believe you. You'd never do anything to harm us. So, yes, okay. So they put gold stars on And then when the Nazis came and said, okay, we're going to have to shut down a bunch of your stores because the products that you're selling are getting too hard to get for for everybody. We're going to need them for the war effort. So you're going to have to shut down some of your stores. And the Jews were saying, well, you know, we understand. So we'll we'll go along with this. And then when the Nazis said, okay, you need to go pack your things, uh, whatever you want to take with you, because for your safety, we're going to have to put you on these trains and relocate you. And the Jews said, well, okay, you're the authority. You're the boss. We trust you. We're going to go ahead. do this. The Nazis put him on trains, and the Jews said, okay, and they went on these trains. And you know the rest of the story. This happens all over the world. People fall for this. The weak-minded will fall for it. Right now, here's the third and final episode of How to Become a Tyrant.
7: So far, the playbook has shown you how to seize power, crush your rivals, brutalize your people into submission, and replace objective truth with your version of reality now it's time to realize the true promise of tyranny by reinventing your country into the utopia you always dreamed it could be
8: the more dangerous and interesting tyrants are really convinced they are creating a better world
7: think your country needs a new national flag no problem Do you like implementing a brand new education system with you as the main subject why not the playbook provides all the tools you need to create your perfect society. And no one committed to this quite like Momar Gaddafi, who made the complete transformation of the Libyan nation his life's work. No matter who or what got in his way. This mad dog of the Middle East has a goal of a world revolution. Follow his example and you'll discover how you too can create an enduring heaven on earth with you as its guiding light. Muammar Gaddafi's eccentric vision transformed his countrymen's lives in ways that were good, bad, and weird. Gaddafi
9: is a bit of a, a tragic figure, somebody who really started off wanting to change the society around him, and in the end started to believe in his own stories. He was famously corrupt and greedy. He had all kinds of affectations of
8: dress and manner. He visited foreign countries and would sleep outside in a tent.
7: And yet, despite his quirks, this revolutionary and fashion icon managed to stay in power for 42 years. Before we look at how Gaddafi remade Libya in his own image, there are a few things you
6: should know. Muammar Gaddafi's parents were illiterate, Bedouin, nomadic people.
8: The environment was very, very difficult indeed. Libya was one of the poorest countries in the world, but the only means of changing one's status
6: was to join the military, and Gaddafi did precisely this. Gaddafi saw the Western-backed monarch, King Idris, as extremely corrupt. There was virtually a bloodless
9: coup, really because there were no institutions in Libya that were organized well enough to really stand up for the king, to protect the king.
8: Gaddafi began probably as a sincere reformer. He wanted to modernize an entire nation.
6: He was hailed as a kind of liberator across the Arab world and the African world. But ultimately, he was not interested in liberating anyone. He was interested in enslaving them.
7: Gaddafi's lesson really does hold the promise and peril of building a new society. If you want yours to succeed, it's going to need some ground rules. And it's your job to lay them down. As the creator of your new society, you're more than just head of state. You're the parent of your nation. And to truly show your love, you'll need to guide your flock with a firm hand.
10: Authoritarian rulers exercise rule by limiting the rights that the public enjoys. The leaders will often claim that this is in the best interest of the state, of the people.
7: After all, tyrants know best. Upon taking power in 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini revoked Iran's divorce law and lowered the marriage age for girls to as young as... Under Hitler, the Nazis instituted a strict anti-smoking policy, inspired by the Fuhrer's personal distaste for tobacco. While Turkmenistan's dictator, Saparmurat Niyazov, banned the use of lip-syncing at concerts in 2006 and banished dogs from the country's capital due to their unappealing odor.
6: Like all other dictators, Gaddafi knew he had to repress civil liberties. So he prohibited free speech, and rights of assembly, he would make up the rules as he went along.
7: Following Islamic law, Gaddafi banned alcohol and shut down all nightclubs. Hiring domestic servants, being a doctor or lawyer in private practice, and even hailing a cab were also forbidden, while prohibited domestic acts like adultery could earn the offenders lashings and loss of limbs. Gaddafi also banned trade unions, workers' strikes, and cracked down on the true enemy of his new society foreign chickens.
8: Gaddafi says that Libyans must grow their own food. A country is not free if it eats from overseas. He says,
9: let's start with chicken. All Libyans must grow their own chicken.
7: But liberating your people from store-bought poultry only gets you so far.
9: By 1976, he realizes that the people um, don't really share this vision that he has uh, of how a country should be ruled. He turns increasingly autocratic. Elections disappear. The positions of power are increasingly occupied by loyalists of the regime. So it becomes more and more a classical dictatorship.
7: And while many Libyans seem fine to embrace Gaddafi as their absolute leader, there were pockets of resistance. As Gaddafi's repression expands, student demonstrators take to the streets in protest, demanding that their freedoms be restored. It's a moment of crisis for the regime. Gaddafi has a choice. Uphold the people's will, or his own. On April 7, 1976, He makes the obvious decision. Gaddafi sends his army into the cities of Tripoli and Benghazi to crush the protests. Many who are detained are later released. Others are not so lucky.
9: To make an example of those that dared speak out against the regime, a number of them were
7: accused of being traitors. On the first anniversary of the protests, Two students, Omar Daboub and Mohammed Ben Saoud, are hung for their participation, with a special guest in attendance. From this day forward, Gaddafi declares April 7th a national holiday. And what better way to celebrate each year than by rounding up his opponents across the country? It's a new annual tradition to make clear that from now on, the leader is the law, and the law must be obeyed. Laying down the rules is a start, but revealing the true promise of your new society will require even bolder action. So think big.
0: Tyrants have
8: great projects. This is one of the ways they can achieve immortality as a daily reminder of their greatness.
7: Pick your projects well, and they can upgrade your nation and your image at the same time. Hitler and the Nazis presented themselves as the driving force behind the Autobahn highway system, which promised Germans total mobility across the country. Joseph Stalin greenlit the construction of the -the state-of-the-art Moscow Metro that was heralded as a triumph of socialism when it opened in 1931, while Romanian dictator Nicolae Ceausescu bulldozed one-fifth of the capital city of Bucharest to build the Palace of Parliament. It took 13 years to complete cost $3 billion and up to 3,000 workers' lives. Too bad he was deposed and killed before construction was completed. Gaddafi had grand ambitions of his own and a key advantage to bring them to life.
11: Gaddafi had an oil-rich economy. The money is just coming out of the ground and straight into his bank account.
7: After
8: 1973, the price of oil contributed globally. He made a tremendous amount of money,
9: and he was able to use that money for whatever he wanted to use them for. Potable water had become quite scarce in Libya. So, knowing that there were these enormous aquifers in the southern part of Libya, Gaddafi set about exploiting those. A man-made
8: river that could one day even turn desert into farmland.
7: What better symbol of a new society than making the desert bloom? Gaddafi's plan was to drill into the Nubian fossil aquifer, then transport the water from there to northern Libya through giant pipes and dams.
9: It was massive. Pipelines of enormous dimensions, literally hundreds and hundreds of kilometers long.
7: It didn't come cheap, but Gaddafi saw the project as his crowning glory. That would provide the majority of Libya's water for decades. He even began calling it the eighth wonder of the world. Sadly the construction met with issues.
9: There were all kinds of problems with it. Corruption was endemic, and so you saw lots of
7: pipes exploding. The great man-made river took nearly three decades to complete, and some experts believe the underground reserves will run out before the end of this century. But that will be someone else's problem.
9: The Great Man River project was one of the very few ones that was much appreciated by the Libyans. It was this kind of prestige project um, that he could then betray as his own.
7: But people have short memories. You need to make sure they never forget who's responsible for the wonders they now enjoy. How, you may ask. I believe that children are our future, so teach them well.
5: Every dictator needs a population that can read, write, so they can work at menial jobs producing money for the dictator. What dictators don't want is a well-educated population, people with ideas who can become rivals. For your new
7: society to succeed, you have to start early.
6: In Libya, literacy and propaganda were twinned.
7: And Gaddafi's required reading list for the nation's youth was just one title long, written by himself.
6: The Green Book was the Bible of Gaddafi's Libya. Gaddafi would constantly cite from it. Billboards had quotes from it.
9: They were kind of random thoughts. But because they came from Gaddafi, nobody could question them.
7: But you can't let a few bad reviews get in the way of your nation's future.
9: Kids would
11: be Taking tests on Gaddafi's Green Book, on what he said and what it means.
7: Now that's smart lesson planning. But the genius of Gaddafi's education system wasn't just what it taught the children of Libya, it was also what it didn't. In this new Libyan society, no history before Gaddafi's reign was taught. Because, what's the point of learning about the bad old days? No geography, don't want people thinking about the world or the way out. No foreign languages, don't need them. And since Gaddafi saw units of measurement as symbols of Western oppression, he banned the metric system, so maybe it wasn't all bad. But sometimes, despite all your careful planning, your little ones still don't learn what you want them to. That's why Gaddafi liked throwing in the odd face-to-face lesson, just to make sure his message hit home. In the summer of 1984, thousands of schoolchildren in the city of Benghazi were told they were going on a very special outing. The students were loaded into buses and transported to the city's open-air basketball stadium. But what they were about to see was a whole different ballgame. The main attraction, Al-Sadeq Hamed Al-Sakwedi a 30-year-old engineer who'd recently returned from studying in the U.S. The audience was told they would be witnessing a trial, but he was already condemned. As the crowd realizes what is about to happen, some beg for mercy, others celebrate. But something goes wrong. The condemned man doesn't die. Out of the crowd, a woman emerges. Her name, Huda Ben-Amer. With a firm tug, Huda finishes the job.
6: She became known as Huda the Executioner. This act of helping the state to murder an innocent victim jump-started her political career, and she actually became Minister of Sports and Tourism.
7: What a fitting reward for serving as a role model for the youth of the nation, especially the little girls. But Huda's shining example also shows how powerful and even deadly one woman can be. That's why on the path to building your new society, you need to give the fair sex extra attention.
11: All the major dictators in modern history have been men. As a group, they see women as necessary, but they also see women as dangerous.
12: The authoritarian mindset responds to The restoration of a hierarchy in which men sit atop of the social order.
7: But Gaddafi wanted to be seen as a modern tyrant, building the perfect society for all of his people.
9: In principle, Gaddafi argued that uh, women should be equal to men. And so throughout his reign, he tried to, at least symbolically, Uh, promote uh, women.
7: And what better symbol of female promotion than this?
8: He had this weird bodyguard of women, almost like something out of a James Bond film.
6: They accompanied him abroad. Gaddafi was expert at manipulating the media. He knew exactly what would get into photographers and get into the TV screens.
7: But behind closed doors, things weren't quite as ready for prime time.
6: Many people didn't know those bodyguards were what some people call a harem.
7: New members of the Amazonian Guard were recruited during Gaddafi's travels throughout the country. He was partial to beautiful young women, some no more than 14 scouts from his current guard were always on the lookout for fresh faces new recruits would be invited to a private reception to meet the leader if a woman received a pat on the head she had been chosen and soon she would disappear and whether she wanted to or not she would become what Gaddafi called a virgin of the revolution, duty-bound to serve her leader.
6: These women were often abused and raped by Gaddafi. Sometimes girls were allowed to go back to their families, but in a traditional Muslim society, many times they were shunned. Gaddafi abused thousands of women for years in this manner.
7: It was all part of Momar's vision for his perfect world, where the greatest honor was to be of service to Libya, and thus, to him.
6: Gaddafi was the nation. Dictators have a completely proprietary view of the nation. They own its wealth, they own its people. Their bodies are are his to do what he wants.
7: If you're Muammar Gaddafi, it might now seem that you've got everything you need for your new society. Money, loyal subjects, concrete symbols of your greatness exciting job opportunities. But now's no time to rest on your laurels. When there's a whole world out there that's yet to learn of your path to national glory, why keep it to yourself? Becoming an absolute ruler is an impressive feat, but creating a global movement, that's the stuff of legends. Which is why our most ambitious tyrants love to spread their wings. In 1940, Adolf Hitler installed a puppet regime known as the Vichy government in occupied France which went on to strip citizenship from the nation's Jews and send more than 70,000 to die in concentration camps. After World War II, Joseph Stalin aggressively supported the spread of communist governments across Eastern Europe and the Baltics, creating a buffer zone of countries friendly to him. And China's Mao Zedong provided weapons, cash, and supplies to North Vietnam as part of his plan to dominate Southeast Asia. But for some tyrants, Hooking up can be tough.
8: He tried very hard to be the center of attention within the Arab world. The leaders, they looked down upon him.
7: But no matter what the rest of the world thinks, there are always going to be some groups that will take you and your fat wallet into their hearts.
6: Qaddafi sponsored many, many separatist movements.
7: Across the globe, anytime a revolutionary group needs some cash gaddafi is there to provide the danger of allying with the wrong sort of friends however is that people judge you by the company you keep it's around
3: 2 a.m in berlin when the bomb went off in the crowded La Belle discotheque police say there were about 500 people inside many of them off-duty u.s soldiers the bomb
1: exploded these murderers could not carry out their crimes Without the sanctuary and support provided by regimes such as Colonel Gaddafi's in Libya.
6: Gaddafi was a terrorist. He wanted the respect of the world while he was terrorizing everybody.
7: Word to the wise, terrorizing people at home is a lot easier than taking on the entire western world. No one can kill Americans and brag about it. No one.
6: When the Americans retaliated and bombed Libya, it was truly a shock to him, because he thought that he was infallible.
11: As dawn shed light on the devastation caused by the American bombing, Washington said the targets were military bases or terrorist camps.
6: This fallacy came to a crashing halt.
7: Beginning of the end? Not so fast. When you're sitting on one of the world's 10 richest oil reserves, you can afford the odd miscalculation. But as you'll see, the playbook will keep you in power only as long as you heed its lessons. Momar is going to find that out the hard way. Gaddafi has a good thing going. Wealth, power, impeccable fashion sense, and the vision to create his ideal society. But as the new millennium dawns... The U.S. goes to war against Saddam Hussein, and life as a Middle Eastern dictator starts to feel like a dicey proposition.
3: Our war against terror is only beginning.
7: When times get tough, the playbook insists that you ruthlessly stick with your program. Gaddafi chose a different path.
5: He made changes in policy that he thought would curry favor in the Western world. Free speech, freedom of assembly, free press. He stopped torturing people. Now that's a nice thing to do, but torture is a good way to deter people from opposing you. What was the consequence? These are the mechanisms by which people organize and overthrow their governments.
7: It's quite inevitable. These enlightened reforms will ultimately be seen for what they really are, weakness.
0: Colonel Gaddafi, it's your army deserting you. I forgot your
5: language. They rose up against him.
7: The Western world
5: did nothing to save him, and he was dead.
6: When he's finally cornered by rebels... He says, I haven't done anything. Why are you treating me this way?
7: A fair question under most circumstances.
0: He killed my brother, my cousin. He killed my friends. He burned my family's house.
7: Though you might say what doomed Gaddafi in the end is that he abandoned the playbook, went soft, and paid the ultimate price.
9: And eventually, of course, um, he was hunted down and, and killed.
7: But take heart. The playbook offers another path a gateway to achieving the ultimate tyrant's dream, a regime without end. The final chapter awaits in the hermit kingdom of North Korea, where the Kim dynasty has cracked the code to eternal rule. Are you ready to become a god? You've seen history's most notorious dictators use this playbook to navigate their path to power, and that by following their example, Absolute rule can be yours as well. Toughness is good because people respect you. But by one measure, even these titans of tyranny fall short.
8: The problem that tyrants ultimately face is that they're really not able to achieve permanent stability.
7: But what if I told you the playbook held the key to keeping your regime alive, not just through the end of your days, but beyond? And you can see this tyrannical dream in action in one of the most isolated and repressive countries on Earth. North Korea's founding father, Kim Il-sung, and his son, Kim Jong-il, built a system of absolute rule that's still going strong today while turning their nation into a shrine to their family's greatness, a nuclear power, and a prison state.
11: They've done the single most important thing you can do as a tyrant,
7: survive in power. Time to reveal the path to tyranny's greatest and most elusive goal, immortality. By now, it should be clear to you, to endure as a tyrant, you need to do more than build a movement, you need to be the movement.
8: It's a hallmark of tyranny going back to ancient times that there is this cult of personality surrounding the tyrant, which portrays him as the font of all wisdom, the font of all virtue.
7: And while most cults of personality die with their leaders, North Korea's has survived for three generations.
13: I look at North Korea really as a theocracy. To create that aura, that in fact, you know, they are quote unquote godlike. They believe in them. It's much, much like belief in a religious faith.
7: But to understand how the Kims pulled this off, you need to know a few things about how the dynasty began.
13: In his 30s, Kim Il-sung is an anti-Japanese guerrilla fighter that was quite well known
14: fighting for Korean independence. After the end of World War II, Korea is liberated. American troops enter Korea from the south, and Russian troops enter Korea from the north. And the man that the Soviet Union puts into power in the north is Kim Il-sung.
13: Kim Il-sung took a lot of things from the playbook that Stalin utilized for controlling
14: the Soviet Union. One of the ways Kim Il-sung kept power was regular purges the people around the core of power are killed or sent to gulags either because they are thought to be plotting to take power or just simply as an example to keep everybody on their toes.
12: The Korean War was fought between North Korea and China on one side and South Korea, and the US and the UN on the other. It
13: was a stalemate and they were devastated. They came to the conclusion that in a conventional warfare, North Korea is no match for the United States. Uh, in fact, they needed something else, a super deterrent that would uh, guarantee their survivability. Achieving that will take
7: more than 50 years, and an ingredient, besides enriched uranium, rarely found among tyrannical types, teamwork. But you can't build an everlasting regime without a strong foundation and a plan to keep your population under total control. Here's step one. A great thinker once said, A man is only as faithful as his options. So if you want to rule forever, it helps to be the only game in town.
13: North Korea stands as an example of quite successfully being able to isolate its people from the rest of the world.
9: In North Korea, there's no access to information. The television only has one channel.
12: Phones are tapped. North Koreans cannot travel freely, they can't travel around the country freely, and they cannot leave the country without permission.
7: And the original mastermind of this isolation program, the father of North Korea, Kim Il-sung, who after taking power with Stalin's help, is itching to craft his own customized tyranny.
12: By the 1950s, Kim Il-sung was starting to chafe under Soviet influence and was starting to see that he was going to need to make a break.
7: And so he does, by creating a brand new national ideology called Juche. Juche
13: can be translated very loosely into self-reliance. He wanted to say, basically, we will do everything by ourselves.
12: Koreans have been facing domination from outside forces for centuries. The Chinese, the Japanese. Juche was created to force them to think about fending for themselves and to turn that isolationism into a source of
7: pride. According to Juche Principles... Cooperating with other nations would destroy North Korea's sovereignty. And the only way for the nation to survive is to unite under the great leader, Kim Il-sung.
12: Juche has been used very strategically as a way to justify and explain why they're so isolated.
13: The isolation is an effective tool to prevent popular discontent about the state of the country. So to open up North Korea to this kind of flow of information, I think, would be quite devastating.
7: See? Smart move. Isolating your nation is a strong step towards a long and healthy tyranny. But we're aiming higher, to build a regime without end. To do that you're going to need a good succession plan. And this one is playbook approved.
11: Dynastic rule is great for leaders, and it's also great for the coalition, the supporters around the leader. It's about continuity. The coalition have reasons to stay more loyal because we might say the apple doesn't drop far from the tree.
7: But for modern-day tyrants, building a family dynasty is a tough trick, which few have been able to pull off. Not Saddam with his boys, or Gaddafi, How about Stalin's kids? Vasily, Svetlana, Yakov, or Artyom? Ever heard of them? Me neither. As North Korean alpha leader, Kim Il-sung's cult of personality continues to grow. He becomes determined that his regime will be the exception.
12: They had this idea of replicating somewhat of a modern-day monarchy for the rule of North Korea.
7: But even monarchies can get messy when it comes to succession.
12: With royal families in Korean history, you often had a king with multiple consorts and multiple potential heirs. And that was true with Kim Il-sung as well.
7: That leaves the leader with a very important decision, which kid to choose.
12: He had the son Kim Pyong-il who was seen of as a potential heir.
14: He was the favorite son. He was the son of Kim Il-sung's second wife was in greater favor than his first wife who'd passed away
7: while firstborn son Kim Jong-il is left out in the cold. But North Korea's future ruler number two has big plans. If you're born into that family, you sort of
14: develop from a very young age this sense of killer be killed, dog eat dog world. You either have all the power or you have none. And there's really nothing in between.
7: To prove his claim, Kim Jong-il would need to find the right moment and make it count. In the wake of the latest purge of unreliable officials, The big boss, Kim Il-sung, has several openings to fill, including in the propaganda ministry, charged with North Korea's most important pursuit, glorifying the great leader. Kim Il-sung pays a visit to North Korea's film studio with his 25-year-old son, Kim Jong-il, by his side. He berates the studio workers for their ineffective propaganda films, which are betraying the nation. He dares them to have the courage to overhaul the studio and restore it back to glory. When no one responds, Kim Jong-il volunteers to take up his father's challenge.
14: This is one of the vital incidents of Kim Jong-il's rise that as a good, dutiful son, when there was a moment of need, he volunteered boldly, even though he was young.
7: Kim Jong-il is immediately named cultural arts director and begins producing the film Sea of Blood, An epic tale of North Korean self-reliance. In it, a 1930s family suffers under Japanese occupation before heroically fighting back. Based on a story by Kim Il-sung himself, it premieres to rave reviews. Within two years, Kim Jong-il becomes head of the entire propaganda ministry, setting him off on his course from lost boy to heir apparent.
14: by 1974 even though he won't take power for the next 20 years it is communicated to the party that yeah this is the guy
0: Kim Jong-il's royalty is unfailing in short is an
7: incarnation of royalty. In securing his rule and naming a successor, Kim Il-sung did his part to position the dynasty for success. But before the understudy can take the stage, Kim Jong-il will need to chart his own course to grow the family business. And when you don't have the help you need, sometimes you just need to take matters into your own hands.
14: Kim Jong-il developed kidnapping as a state tool that he wasn't shy about using personally if he felt he wanted someone, for whatever reason, in the country.
12: Kim Jong-il wanted to train his spies to speak Japanese, so he kidnapped Japanese citizens. In some cases, they were just plucked off the beach and disappeared. For years, their families had no idea that they were in North Korea.
7: But for Kim Jong-il, rising star of North Korean cinema, his nation had a staffing issue that was even more troubling. In the
14: 1970s, Kim Jong-il had made films that were successful enough in North Korea, but were still kind of made fun of around the world. Kim Jong-il recognized that every form of power is based on stories, and his love for storytelling and for narrative could be put to use to try and perpetuate the regime
7: looking to crack Hollywood secrets Kim
14: watches films day and night He'd created this huge worldwide bootleg system to provide him with every film that came out subtitled and printed and ready for him to watch and he would keep all of these films in a building in Pyongyang that no one could access
7: But Kim Jong-il quickly realizes his biggest problem To make A-movies you need A-list talent So what's this tactic about again? Kidnapping So now it's just a question about who to grab
12: Kim Jong-il Staged the kidnapping of one of South Korea's most beloved actresses, Chae and Mi, in Hong Kong, and somehow lured her ex-husband, the revered film director Shin Sang-ok, to. Look for her and they entrapped him as well.
14: He keeps them imprisoned without seeing one another for five to six years until their resolve is essentially broken. And then he brings them back together. He announces publicly that they've happily joined the Democratic People's Republic of Korea.
7: Over the next three years, Shin and She produced seventeen films under Kim Jong-il's Watchful Eye.
13: He basically forced them to create a film industry in North Korea.
7: Shin's films have to fit kim's
14: propaganda purposes but he's also allowed to break the rules a little bit and it actually enhances kim's power because north korean audiences now have a reason to want to go see these films they're unlike anything else they've seen in 40 years but that still serve the purpose
7: of developing the narrative of the nation but kim jong-il still just the heir apparent has a problem that national narrative is currently based around his father the eternal divine and still living leader Kim Il-sung, quite a challenge. How do you make your case to succeed a god? Pity poor Kim Jong-il. He's doing such a great job elevating his father's cult of personality. It's leaving him little time to develop his own.
12: Kim Jong-il wasn't the gregarious, charismatic, outgoing people person that his father was. He was very behind the scenes.
14: Kim Jong-il needed to build a narrative for North Korea past its first leader, that would give him legitimacy.
7: And that plan begins here, at North Korea's most sacred site, Mount Pektu. Legend has it, this is where Korean civilization began, with the birth of the god-king, Dangun.
12: For the Kims, so much of their family lore is built around Mount Pektu.
7: According to Kim Il-sung's official bio, before his nation achieved independence, his forces battled the Japanese from a base camp on Paektu's slopes. While most experts place it some 200 miles away in Manchuria, to strengthen his case as heir to the throne, Kim Jong Il adds himself to the family myth. Kim Jong Il was born in
14: 1941 in Russia, but he couldn't have been born in Russia because he had to be a son of the country. So now the
7: story was rewritten that he was born on Mount Paektu. In the official account spread through the media, books, songs, and taught in schools, Kim Jong Il's birth was foretold by a swallow who descended from heaven. The winter skies parted to reveal the brightest double rainbow ever seen. A new star appeared in the sky. Kim Il-sung's soldiers were so moved that they burst into joyful song. But why stop there?
14: As Kim Jong-il rose to power... He would have people rewrite his narrative of his life as it went. It was very important that he seemed to have superhuman powers. So progressively these stories become crazier and crazier.
7: The North Korean government begins issuing press releases sharing some important facts about the rising leader. Like that he learned to walk at three weeks old and speak at eight weeks. That he can control the weather. Ingeniously authored 1,500 books. That the first time he played golf... He made 11 holes in one is such a perfect physiological specimen that he doesn't produce any form of human waste so he has no need for a toilet and in a final gift to humankind he also invented the hamburger. laugh if you want. But with the playbook, there's always a method to the madness.
12: That mythology is designed to enforce the idea that Kim Jong-il has a divine right to rule. If you think of it from a
13: logical perspective, it doesn't really make any sense. But for a North Korean, though, um, it's not a question of logic. Uh, It really is a question of faith.
7: With eternal leader Kim Il-sung ailing and Kim Jong-il nearing his date with destiny, that faith is about to be tested. The
13: 1990s was kind of a combination of bad luck bad crops, mismanagement. So it's basically the perfect storm that uh, created this uh, collapse of the system that led to
7: widespread famine. That's the last thing you need when you're racing to solidify your dynasty. But what separates tyranny's legends from losers is they don't let problems bring them down. When you're looking to rule forever, hunger can have its advantages. Poor,
11: hungry, isolated people are no threat to you. Starving people aren't going to give food to rebels to go fight the government. They're too weak to fight back. It's a sad reality, but starving people works.
7: Like it or not, the results speak for themselves. Stalin took advantage of a deadly famine in the Ukraine to crush any thoughts of independence and help keep the Soviet Union intact, while tens of millions dead in China as a result of Mao Zedong's great leap forward. Did little to weaken his hold over the nation, and Ethiopian dictator Megistu Haile Mariam weathered his country's devastating famine in the early 1980s, ruling for another eight years.
12: The Kims, they've never been able to feed their own people, despite the mythology that they had to maintain that they could do it on their own. North Korea had relied for so many decades on the Soviet umbrella in terms of where they were getting supplies.
7: But in the early 90s, the Soviet Union falls apart, and North Korea's economy quickly follows suit
12: just started this cascading effect of tragedy after tragedy and hundreds of thousands of north koreans starved to death and those are conservative estimates probably a lot higher i would identify that period as the lowest of lows
7: so naturally this is the exact moment when north korea's seemingly immortal first leader kim il-sung finally decides to check out. The
13: death of Kim Il-sung in 1994 for the majority of North Koreans uh, was the most devastating event. you see people in mourning, and so it's not just mourning, it's almost like the messiah had died.
7: And even worse, Kim Jong-il is seeing his dream of a perpetual dynasty hanging by a thread.
12: How do you survive politically after millions of citizens died? And there's nothing to eat.
14: Kim Jong-il goes back to storytelling.
12: He needed to perpetuate this idea that the country was under threat from aggression from the United States. And so it was tapping back into the Korean War and, and bringing it into the present.
14: And a country at war needs to stick together. He starts propaganda campaigns whereby people are told they should choose to eat only one or two meals a day to celebrate Kim Il-sung and the guerrilla fighters.
7: Inspiring sacrifice is all part of the job. What you do in your free time is your own business.
12: Kim Jong-il had excessive, expensive tastes. He spent, I believe, more than $800,000 a year just on cognac.
14: So while his, his countrymen are allegedly selling baby flesh in markets, Kim Jong-il's got multiple villas and private chefs, and he's importing liquor by the tons. He's living the most luxurious life possible for him and a very small group of people while letting his countrymen die.
7: Yet despite the dear leader's skill in making hunger work for him, the Kim family's eternal regime is still far from secure. Everybody was predicting that Kim
14: Jong-il was inexperienced, less charismatic, less godly than his father, and that sooner or later he would have to fail the regime would have to fail
7: but kim jong-il is about to prove the doubters wrong by unleashing the playbook's final and most devastating tactic that can turn a starving nation into an unstoppable force a sad truth of becoming a tyrant is that chances are you'll someday have a run-in with meddling foreigners who think the world would be better off without you We've lost a lot of Hall of Famers this way, like Saddam Hussein, deposed by a US-led invasion in 2003, captured by American forces, and executed three years later. Adolf Hitler's reign ended with the Allies encircling Berlin in 1945, leading the once mighty Fuhrer to commit suicide in his bunker. And let's not forget Muammar Gaddafi, whose demise was sped along by a NATO bombing campaign in 2011. To avoid falling in their unfortunate footsteps, nothing but the ultimate deterrent will do.
12: The Kims call their nuclear weapons their treasured sword. It will protect them. Nuclear weapons figure so heavily into the strategy of how to keep North Korea intact with the Kim family at
7: the home. Okay, so how do you become a nuclear power? To start, you need world-class scientists, a few hundred pounds of uranium, a processing facility, and a boatload of cash. Seems simple enough? It's not. To make nuclear weapons, you need to run your uranium through thousands of specialized centrifuges that are tightly controlled for obvious reasons. The process takes months to complete, and can be slowed by accidents, or sabotage. Then you need to figure out delivery. You could try dropping them from airplanes, firing short-range missiles, using submarines, or the superpower weapon of choice, intercontinental Ballistic Missiles. And to be sure your weapon works, you're going to have to conduct some tests, which the world will surely notice, and do everything they can to stop you before your program is operational. The race is on. Like everything in North Korea, the Kim's nuclear pursuits are a family affair. Before Kim Il-sung died, in fact, began to stockpile nuclear materials. That's step one. But after nearly four decades of research and development, the program never fully got off the ground. When he died, there was no nuclear weapons. So
13: Kim Jong-il essentially inherits the nuclear program his father
7: started. Kim Jong-il was determined to make his father's nuclear dreams come true. But with North Korea's economy in crisis, he doesn't exactly have boatloads of cash to spare. So he's going to have to get entrepreneurial.
13: So North Korea was able to finance this nuclear program through illicit trade counterfeit products drugs smuggling money laundering so uh, whatever illegal methods is available there north korea has done it
7: in 2009 kim jong-il achieved step number two north korea conducts a successful underground nuclear test and also fires a series of missiles that land in the waters near japan But the family's great enemy in the West, America, remains frustratingly out of reach.
6: We had spent, during the Clinton administration, quite a lot of time trying to figure out what the North Koreans were doing. Kim Dae-jung, who was the president of South Korea, said to me, This man is not crazy. He's very smart, and you need to see him from that perspective.
13: But if we look at exactly what Kim Jong-il was thinking, he had to pursue nuclear weapons as a way of safeguarding um, the uh, country. And that event actually went on until 2011 when he, when he died. Under an intense snowstorm, thousands of North Koreans said their last farewell to Kim Jong-il. For the
3: funeral procession carried the dear leader's coffin.
7: But the great thing about an eternal regime, death is a mere speed bump. Time for Kim Jong-il's son, Kim Jong-un to pick up the baton.
13: When Kim Jong-un takes over, he actually accelerates the testing of nuclear weapons and the testing of intercontinental missile technologies.
7: And 64 years after the end of the Korean War, Kim Jong-un finally finishes the job. In
13: 2017, he conducts the nuclear tests. They claim to be a hydrogen bomb capable of hitting the United States.
7: Grandpa would be so proud. The regime he set up to rule forever now has the ultimate safety net. North Korea is a nuclear power. That gives them the tools by which the Kim family
13: can now continue to perpetuate their power, their authority, and succession in the future.
7: The system, it exists on and on and on. That's maybe what's different about this dictatorship. It's just you won't die. The great leader, dictatorship,
9: continued on.
7: There it is. As simple as that. With this playbook in hand, you can go from broke outcast to absolute ruler. Crush all rivals in your path. Dominate your people's bodies and minds. Create your perfect society. And with an assist from the ultimate weapon, rule forever. Come on. What's stopping you?
5: What kind of person can be a tyrant? I'm going to give a very depressing answer. Anybody can be a tyrant.
1: Right now, the United States is at a nexus. This is a crossroads. This plan, this thing that's occurring within the United States has been planned for hundreds of years. The main thing that I have seen is that they have made the public stupid. They've made the public ignorant. They've made the public easy to control. And you have right now in the world, and let's back down into just the United States because each other country has their own, own problems in it, In the United States, you have the media that's part of the communist plan. You have the CIA. You have the FBI. You have the Department of Homeland Security. You have the White House. You have every so-called Democrat in the House of Representatives and in the Senate that are part of this subjugation plan of moving us into pure communism. With all of this propaganda, it is easy to make people think that everything that's happening is for their own good. Now you're going to hear how this is foisted onto us.
10: This presentation was written and narrated by Academy of Ideas. The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to deify error if error seduce them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. According to the psychologist Carl Jung, The greatest threat to civilization lies not with the forces of nature, nor with any physical disease, but with our inability to deal with the forces of our own psyche. We are our own worst enemies, or as the Latin proverb puts it, man is a wolf to man. In Civilization in Transition, Jung states that this proverb is a sad yet eternal truism and our wolf-like tendencies come most prominently into play at those times of history when mental illness becomes the norm rather than the exception in a society, a situation which Jung termed a psychic epidemic. Indeed, it is becoming ever more obvious, he writes, that it is not famine, not earthquakes, not microbes. Not cancer, but man himself, who is man's greatest danger to man, for the simple reason that there is no adequate protection against psychic epidemics, which are infinitely more devastating than the worst of natural catastrophes. In this video, we are going to explore the most dangerous of all psychic epidemics the mass psychosis. A mass psychosis is an epidemic of madness and it occurs when a large portion of a society loses touch with reality and descends into delusions. Such a phenomenon is not a thing of fiction. Two examples of mass psychoses are the American and European witch hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries and the rise of totalitarianism in the 20th century. During the witch hunts, thousands of individuals, mostly women, were killed, not for any crimes they committed, but because they became the scapegoats of societies gone mad. In some Swiss villages, writes Francis Hill, there were scarcely any women left alive after the frenzy had finally burned itself out. When a mass psychosis occurs, the results are devastating. Jung studied this phenomenon and wrote that the individuals who make up the infected society become morally and spiritually inferior. They sink unconsciously to an inferior intellectual level. They become more unreasonable, irresponsible, emotional, erratic, and unreliable. And worst of all, crimes the individual alone could never stand are freely committed by the group smitten by madness. What makes matters worse is that those suffering from a mass psychosis are unaware of what is occurring. For just as an individual gone mad cannot step out of his mind to observe the errors in his ways, so too there is no Archimedean point from which those living through a mass psychosis can observe their collective madness. But what causes a mass psychosis? To answer this question, we must first explore what drives an individual mad. While there are many potential triggers of madness, such as an excessive use of drugs or alcohol, brain injuries, and other illnesses, these physical causes will not concern us here. Our concern is with psychological, or what are called psychogenic triggers, as these are the most common culprits of the mass psychosis. The most prevalent psychogenic cause of a psychosis is a flood of negative emotions, such as fear or anxiety, that drives an individual into a state of panic. When in a state of panic, an individual will naturally seek relief, as it is too mentally and physically draining to subsist in this hyper-emotional state. While escaping from the state of panic can be accomplished through adaptive means, such as facing up to and defeating the fear-generating threat, Another way to escape is to undergo a psychotic break. A psychotic break is not a descent into a state of greater disorder, as many believe, but a reordering of one's experiential world, which blends fact and fiction, or delusions and reality, in a way that helps end the feelings of panic. Silvano Arietti, one of the 20th century's foremost authorities on schizophrenia, explains the psychogenic steps that lead to madness. Firstly, there is the phase of panic when the patient starts to perceive things in a different way, is frightened on account of it, appears confused, and does not know how to explain the strange things that are happening. The next step is what Ariadne calls a phase of psychotic insight, whereby an individual succeeds in putting things together by devising a pathological way of seeing reality which allows him to explain his abnormal experiences. The phenomenon is called insight, because the patient finally sees meaning and relations in his experiences. But the insight is psychotic, because it is based on delusions, not on adaptive and life-promoting ways of relating to whatever threats precipitated the panic. The delusions, in other words, allow the panic-stricken individual to escape from the flood of negative emotions, but at the cost of losing touch with reality, and for this reason, Arietti says that a psychotic break can be viewed as an abnormal way of dealing with an extreme state of anxiety. If a panic-triggering flood of negative emotions in a weak and vulnerable individual can trigger a psychotic break, then a mass psychosis can result when a population of weak and vulnerable individuals is driven into a state of panic by threats real, imagined, or fabricated. But as delusions can take many forms, and as madness can manifest in countless ways— the specific manner in which a mass psychosis unfolds will differ based on the historical and cultural context of the infected society. But in the modern era, it is the mass psychosis of totalitarianism that appears to be the greatest threat. Totalitarianism, writes Arthur Verslewis, is the modern phenomenon of total centralized state power, coupled with the obliteration of individual human rights. In the totalized state, there are those in power. And there are the objectified masses, the victims. In a totalitarian society, the population is divided into two groups, the rulers and the ruled, and both groups undergo a pathological transformation. The rulers are elevated to an almost godlike status, which is diametrically opposed to our nature as imperfect beings who are easily corrupted by power. The masses, on the other hand, are transformed into the dependent subjects of these pathological rulers and take on a psychologically regressed and child-like status. Hannah Arendt, one of the 20th century's preeminent scholars of this form of rule, called totalitarianism an attempted transformation of human nature itself. But this attempted transformation only turns sound minds into sick minds. For as the Dutch medical doctor who studied the mental effects of living under totalitarianism wrote, There is in fact much that is comparable between the strange reactions of the citizens of totalitarianism and their culture as a whole, on the one hand, and the reactions of the sick schizophrenic on the other. The social transformation that unfolds under totalitarianism is built upon and sustained by delusions. For only deluded men and women regress to the childlike status of obedient and submissive subjects and hand over complete control of their lives to politicians and bureaucrats. Only a deluded ruling class will believe that they possess the knowledge, wisdom, and acumen to completely control society in a top-down manner. And only when under the spell of delusions would anyone believe that a society composed of power-hungry rulers on the one hand, and a psychologically regressed population on the other, will lead to anything other than mass suffering and social ruin. But what triggers the psychosis of totalitarianism? As was explored in the previous video of this series, the mass psychosis of totalitarianism begins in a society's ruling class. The individuals that make up this class, be it politicians, bureaucrats, or crony capitalists, are very prone to delusions that augment their power, and no delusion is more attractive to the power-hungry then the delusion that they can and should control and dominate a society. When a ruling elite becomes possessed by a political ideology of this sort, be it communism, fascism, or technocracy, the next step is to induce a population into accepting their rule by infecting them with the mass psychosis of totalitarianism. This psychosis has been induced many times throughout history, and as Mirlu explains, It is simply a question of reorganizing and manipulating collective feelings in the proper way. The general method by which the members of a ruling elite can accomplish this end is called menticide, with the etymology of this word being a killing of the mind. And as Mirlu further explains, menticide is an old crime against the human mind and spirit, but systematized anew. It is an organized system of psychological intervention and judicial perversion through which a ruling class can imprint their own opportunistic thoughts upon the minds of those they plan to use and destroy. Priming a population for the crime of menticide begins with the sowing of fear. When an individual is flooded with negative emotions, such as fear or anxiety, he or she is very susceptible to a descent into the delusions of madness. Threats real, imagined, or fabricated can be used to sow fear. But a particularly effective technique is to use waves of terror. Under this technique, the sowing of fear is staggered with periods of calm. But each of these periods of calm is followed by the manufacturing of an even more intense spell of fear. And on and on the process goes. Or as Mirlu writes, Each wave of terrorizing creates its effects more easily after a breathing spell than the one that preceded it. Because people are still disturbed by their previous experience, morality becomes lower and lower, and the psychological effects of each new propaganda campaign become stronger. It reaches a public already softened up. While fear primes a population for menticide, the use of propaganda to spread misinformation and to promote confusion with respect to the source of the threats and the nature of the crisis helps to break down the minds of the masses. Government officials and their lackeys in the media can use contradictory reports, nonsensical information, and even blatant lies, as the more they confuse, the less capable will a population be to cope with the crisis and diminish their fear in a rational and adaptive manner. Confusion, in other words, heightens the susceptibility of a dissent into the delusions of totalitarianism, or as Mirlu explains, logic can be met with logic, while illogic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. Never before in history have such effective means existed to manipulate a society into the psychosis of totalitarianism. Smartphones and social media, television and the internet all in conjunction with algorithms that quickly censor the flow of unwanted information, allow those in power to easily assault the minds of the masses. What is more, the addictive nature of these technologies means that many people voluntarily subject themselves to the ruling elite's propaganda with a remarkable frequency. Modern technology, explains Mirlu, teaches man to take for granted the world he is looking at. He takes no time to retreat and reflect. Technology lures him on, dropping him into its wheels and movements. No rest, no meditation, no reflection, no conversation. The senses are continually overloaded with stimuli. Man doesn't learn to question his world anymore. The screen offers him answers, ready-made. But there is a further step the would-be totalitarian rulers can take to increase the chance of a totalitarian psychosis. And this is to isolate the victims and to disrupt normal social interactions. When alone and lacking normal interactions with friends, family, and coworkers, an individual becomes far more susceptible to delusions for several reasons. Firstly, they lose contact with the corrective force of the positive example, for not everyone is tricked by the machinations of the ruling elite, and the individuals who see through the propaganda can help free others from the menticidal assault. If, however, isolation is enforced... The power of these positive examples greatly diminishes, but another reason that isolation increases the efficacy of menticide is because, like many other species, human beings are more easily conditioned into new patterns of thought and behavior when isolated. Or as Mirlu explains with regards to the physiologist Ivan Pavlov's work on behavioral conditioning, Pavlov made another significant discovery. The conditioned reflex could be developed most easily in a quiet laboratory with a minimum of disturbing stimuli every trainer of animals knows this from his own experience isolation and the patient repetition of stimuli are required to tame wild animals the totalitarians have followed this rule they know that they can condition their political victims most quickly if they are kept in isolation Alone, confused, and battered by waves of terror, a population under an attack of menticide descends into a hopeless and vulnerable state. The never-ending stream of propaganda turns minds once capable of rational thought into playhouses of irrational forces, and with chaos swirling around them and within them, the masses crave a return to a more ordered world. The would-be totalitarians can now take the decisive step. They can offer a way out and a return to order in a world that seems to be moving rapidly in the opposite direction, but all this comes at a price. The masses must give up their freedom and cede control of all aspects of life to the ruling elite. They must relinquish their capacity to be self-reliant individuals who are responsible for their own lives and become submissive and obedient subjects. The masses, in other words, ...must descend into the delusions of the totalitarian psychosis. The totalitarian systems of the 20th century represent a kind of collective psychosis. Whether gradually or suddenly, reason and common human decency are no longer possible in such a system. There is only a pervasive atmosphere of terror and a projection of the enemy imagined to be in our midst. Thus society turns on itself urged on by the ruling authorities. But the order of a totalitarian world is a pathological order. By enforcing a strict conformity and requiring a blind obedience from the citizenry, totalitarianism rids the world of the spontaneity that produces many of life's joys and the creativity that drives society forward. The total control of this form of rule, no matter under what name it is branded, be it rule by scientists and doctors, politicians and bureaucrats, or a dictator, breeds stagnation, destruction, and death on a mass scale. And so perhaps the most important question facing the world is how can totalitarianism be prevented? And if a society has been induced into the early stages of this mass psychosis, can the effects be reversed? While one can never be sure of the prognosis of a collective madness there are steps that can be taken to help effectuate a cure. This task, however, necessitates many different approaches from many different people. For just as the menticidal attack is multi-pronged, so too must be the counter-attack. According to Carl Jung, for those of us who wish to help return sanity to an insane world, the first step is to bring order to our own minds and to live in a way that provides inspiration for others to follow. It is not for nothing that our age cries out for the Redeemer personality, for the one who can emancipate himself from the grip of the collective psychosis and to save at least his own soul, who lights a beacon of hope for others, proclaiming that here is at least one man who has succeeded in extricating himself from the fatal identity with the group psyche. But assuming one is living in a manner free of the grip of the psychosis, there are further steps that can be taken. Information that counters the propaganda should be spread as far and as wide as possible. For the truth is more powerful than the fiction and falsities peddled by the would-be totalitarian rulers. And so their success is in part contingent on their ability to censor the free flow of information. Another tactic is to use humor and ridicule to delegitimize the ruling elite, or as Mirlu explains, we must learn to treat the demagogue and aspirant dictators in our midst with the weapon of ridicule. The demagogue himself is almost incapable of humor of any sort. And if we treat him with humor, he will begin to collapse. A tactic recommended by Vaclav Havel, a political dissident under Soviet communist rule, who later became president of Czechoslovakia, is the construction of what are called parallel structures. A parallel structure is any form of organization, business, institution, technology, or creative pursuit that exists physically within a totalitarian society, yet morally outside of it. In communist Czechoslovakia, Havel noted that these parallel structures were more effective at combating totalitarianism than political action. Furthermore, when enough parallel structures are created, a second culture, or parallel society, spontaneously forms and functions as an enclave of freedom and sanity within a totalitarian world. Or as Havel explains in his book, The Power of the Powerless. What else are parallel structures than an area where a different life can be lived? A life that is in harmony with its own aims and which in turn structures itself in harmony with those aims. What else are those initial attempts at social self-organization than the efforts of a certain part of society to rid itself of the self-sustaining aspects of totalitarianism, and thus, to extricate itself radically from its involvement in the totalitarian system. But above all else, what is required to prevent a full descent into the madness of totalitarianism is action by as many people as possible. For just as the ruling elite do not sit around passively, but instead take deliberate steps to increase their power, so too an active and concerted effort must be made to move the world back in the direction of freedom. This can be an immense challenge in a world falling prey to the delusions of totalitarianism. But as Thomas Paine noted, Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict the more glorious the triumph. I found this to be one of the most palatable
1: explanations of a mass psychosis. So you understand now how they can do it. They have a cycle of activity that goes up and down, up and down. And in this case, it was fear. They'll do it all the time. They'll use hate, they'll use fear, they'll use love, they'll use patriotism. It's all buttons. And the psychological aspect of creating a mass break in reality is not that difficult. It starts slow and then it crescendos and works its way up. And we've seen it all over the world. Part that I'm concerned about is the United States. This cannot be done to a population that has the ability and willingness to critically think about what's happening to them. This can only be achieved in a population of a lower IQ than normal and a lack of, oh, I don't know, what what could be the word, Americanism. Americans, real life, Americans are strong in character, powerful of will, and able to see the difference between right and wrong. That's been eradicated. The last time I audited a school, went to a class on civics is what it was called. I was both embarrassed and ashamed that that was a public school. This plan of deleting or diluting the whole concept of Americanism is not new at all. My son right now is 37. When he was eight years old, we went to Disneyland There, they have these robots there. You know, they they do this theater of all of the uh, of of Lincoln and uh, Franklin and Washington. It was was an excellent theater, theater of presidents. It was very patriotic. It was astounding. It brought tears to my eyes the first time I heard it as a child, and I thought it was cool because here is these robots walking around and talking and all of this. When I took my son there, it had devolved into a generic sermon on equality, equity. Fairness and the one world Government that Disney is working To help achieve and that brought Tears to my eyes as well And uh, we walked out of there That was as far as we got in Disneyland My son said daddy this is not This is not Disneyland I, I don't want to be Here I stopped at the general Manager's office It was a 22 23 Year old massively pimple Faced effeminate male And I told him that I was Disgusted and and insulted that this place had changed this much and he said we don't really care about Americans anymore we have the Chinese and this is exactly what he said he didn't say foreigners he said we have the Chinese that come here a thousand a day so we don't really cater to Americans anymore we cater to to, uh, the Chinese and he said you're just too intolerant to uh, be part of our family there were a few more words spoken as you can imagine and then we took our leave never to return But this has been happening all over the United States, a little bit here, a little bit there. The problem is that we have been taught and threatened and cajoled and forced to be tolerant. Tolerance is great for small animals and little children. But when you have somebody who's trying to insult you and uh, cause a a fight or cause a reaction in people around you, you you know, you're taught to talk to them. Talk it out. Find out what their problem is. Find out why they're upset. Is it something at home? Is it something you did? Yeah. And unfortunately, what happens is when you show weakness in the face of psychosis that's attacking you, the psychosis grains, g- gains power. It doesn't lose power. It gains power. And the problem is is that all of these things that we're, we have been taught to do for the past 50 or more years to to alleviate confrontations, to show more respect for those around you. There's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's blanket now. You do it all the time. You're not supposed to get confrontational. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to upset somebody. When you get food, you know what? I go into a restaurant, and if I ask for a steak cooked a certain way, and a potato cooked a certain way, you better not bring me something that's not what I asked for I get a steak that's raw, literally raw. It's so raw that when I go to cut it with a steak knife, it just rolls up. Potato that's cooked, it's so overcooked, it's as hard as a rock. And the waitress sets that down in my, right in front of me, and I look at it, and I tell her, I said, this isn't what I ordered. This, this steak is, is not even cooked. The potato's bad. Why did you serve me that? The cook just must have blah, blah, blah. I said, ma'am, I'm not talking to the cook. I'm talking to you. You're the one that served it to me. You're at fault. You should have stopped this at the cook. See, people don't want to put responsibility where it belongs. It belongs on you. It belongs directly on you. When you drive in such a stupid manner and spin your tires, do brodies in the middle of the parking lot, and then slam on your brakes and slide and all of this stuff, and then your tires blow, you get pissed off at the tire company. Or you get some guy who goes into a post office, shoots a woman there, then gets arrested... The idiots blame the gun. Well, it's not his fault. It's the gun's fault. The gun was there. If the gun wasn't there, he wouldn't have done that. I am astounded that we've allowed ourselves to to degenerate to the point now to where we could actually fall for all the BS that we're being told. Fifty years ago, if some pinhead come out on TV and said, I'm the head of the Centers for Disease Control, and there's this disease out there, We don't know what it is because because we've never found it. We've never separated it. We've never purified this virus. We can't find it anywhere, but we know what it is. We know it's a virus, and we know it's killing people. So uh, we want you to uh, shut down the world and stop doing anything. We would have looked at him and said, you go to hell. What are you, crazy? Not now. Now we go, look, authority. We better follow that authority. And then you have every Democrat in power in the United States that says you've got to follow authority. We know best what's going on here. and We know what's best for you and for the kids. And then you have, again, every agency in the federal government is pushing this false narrative of a disease that's killing the world. And we're letting it. We've allowed it. How much more? How much more are we going to take of this fraud? Okay. Survival Enterprises. SE1.US. SurvivalEnterprises.com Mountain House Foods, ham radios, shortwave radios, nutritional products, and those of you who are local, feel free to come in and uh, look at the oddball stuff we got in the store here. We're on Government Way in Hayden. You'd be surprised the kind of people that come in here and and where they come from. We have, especially now, not only have the communists uh, tried to escape from Seattle and Portland and California, but the uh, fairly sane people are trying to escape from the same places and they're all ending up here. And when you drive down the road and you see a big sign on a building that says survival, you're going you're to gonna want to stop there and to see what that's all about. So se1.us or you can call us 800-753-1981, 800-753-1981. We're closed on Sunday and Monday. Our phones are open all days from 9 in the morning till 8 at night. So keep your nose in the air and your ear to the ground. And this is the Armchair Survivalist signing off.